Good morning again, everyone. I thought I would start off, take a, a moment here as I begin to explain how I came to this passage that I'm preaching for us today. Uh, when Charlie invited me to preach, I asked him if he had a certain passage or a preference for what I would preach or where I would preach. And uh, he said, well, you could preach the next psalm from where I, Charlie, am leaving off. I, so last Sunday he preached to us from Psalm 19, and I could have done Psalm 20 today. Uh, and then he said, or another thing you could do is you could preach from one of the passages that support or go along with our Westminster Shorter Catechism question for today. And he gave me a list of passages that support this catechism question. And so I read through those passages supporting the catechism question, and, and this passage that I'm preaching for us this morning is one of those from Jeremiah. And also the verses that Kurt read for us here a little bit ago from 1 John chapter 5 are also one of the passages that support the catechism question. And we will recite it together here afterwards a little later in our service, but just to make sure we hear what that question says now before I preach. It says, are there more gods than one? And the answer is there is but one only, the living and true God. So that's how we are hearing a sermon today on Jeremiah chapter 10 instead of Psalm 20. Next week, Charlie, we expect, will be back with us and will start a new series for us on how to read the Bible, Hebrews chapter 1. But now let's go ahead and stand, and I will read for us Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Hear what the Lord says to you, people of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by, the, by signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. No one is like you, Lord. You are great, and your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you, King of the nations? This is your due. Among all the wise leaders of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. They are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. Hammered silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Ufaz. What the craftsmen and goldsmiths have made is then dressed in blue and purple, all made by skilled workers. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations 
cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Everyone is senseless and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is shamed by his idols. The images he makes are a fraud. They have no breath in them. They are worthless. The objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. He who is the portion of Jacob is not like these, for he is the maker of all things, including Israel, the people of his inheritance. The Lord Almighty is his name. Be to God. You may be seated. I was reading an article on the World Economic Forum website article about the words of the year for 2022. Different dictionaries will pick a word of the year, mostly based on how frequently people are searching for these words online. And as I heard these words, I, I, I'm going to talk about three of them. And of the three, I had heard one of them, but I didn't really know what it meant. And then the other two I haven't even heard, had not even heard. So somehow, even though these have become the most popular words for 2022, they didn't make it into my realm of acquaintance yet very much. But it will be interesting to see about the rest of you here. So uh, I mentioned that most of these dictionaries base their choice of word of the year on how frequently people are searching for them. But one dictionary did things differently in 2022 than they had before, and that's the Oxford English Dictionary. The Oxford English Dictionary decided to put it up for a vote. And so they let people choose between three words, and there were more than 340,000 people who voted for this, which was way more than what the Oxford English Dictionary people thought would happen. And so here were the three choices that people could vote for with the Oxford English Dictionary. They could vote for the word metaverse or the word hashtag I stand with or the word goblin mode. And 93% voted for, who knows, who can tell me? You know what goblin mode means? I want to hear, who can, can tell me, anybody? Okay, look at this, you're helping me to feel better. I'm feeling better already because I didn't know what this word meant. But uh, okay, here, here we go. This is what the Oxford English Dictionary says it means. This is defined as a type of behavior which is unapologetically self-indulgent 
lazy, slovenly, or greedy, typically in a way that rejects social norms or expectations. And this word captured the mood of people who rejected the idea of returning to a normal life post-pandemic as people started to leave their homes more often. But the Oxford English Dictionary also lets us know that it can refer to rebelling against, and this is, this is a dictionary definition, so follow along, in the increasingly unattainable aesthetic standards and unsustainable lifestyles exhibited on social media. So, uh, paraphrase maybe, or a conclusion from that is that if social media allows us to curate our best, our ideal selves, then goblin mode lets us be our worst self. There you have it. Oxford English Dictionary, Word of the Year for 2022. Let's hear two more. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary chose the word gaslighting after a 1,740% rise in searches for this word in 2022. What does it mean? Okay, first word, we struck out, nobody knew. Anybody know gaslighting? Oh, I'm seeing some hands now. That I don't know. Well, I'm gonna go with what Merriam Webster says. But okay, I saw a couple hands. Anybody wanna wanna go for it? We No? Okay, here comes Merriam Webster. It says it means manipulating a person by psychological means into questioning his or her own sanity. So according to psychology today, a common example of this is, I'm sorry you feel that way, approach, along with avoiding an argument instead of admitting fault. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I'm sorry you feel that way. We do that sometimes when we're not doing a very good job of making an apology. And then third word from Collins Dictionary. Last one. Collins Dictionary, their word of the year is permacrisis. Permacrisis. Which is an extended period of instability and insecurity. And this term perfectly embodies the dizzying sense of lurching from one unprecedented event to another, as we wonder bleakly what new horrors might be around the corner. So if these words best represent 2022, or at least they're the most popular words that people are looking up. And by the way, which one did I, had I heard? I had heard gaslighting. That one I had heard, but just didn't know what it meant. These other two hadn't even heard of them. But 
if these words are the most popular ones, one thing that stands out to me about these three words, especially when we take them all together, is that they point out how much we need the Lord in this world. They point out that we are in need of a Savior who can put us in right relationship with our God. And part of being in right relationship with God is what we have as the object of our faith, of our worship. And so our passage today is making a big comparison between the wrong objects of our worship, which are idols, and the right object of our worship, which is God. There's also a lot of repetition in our passage. Whenever there is repetition, it's kind of like a flashing light, like a flashing light that's designed to get our attention. And so I'll be focusing this sermon on four things that repeat in our passage. So we're all, it's all about repetition today. Four things that repeat. Here's the first repetition. Verses one and two repeat who is speaking. Verse one tells us to hear what the Lord says. And then verse two says, this is what the Lord says. So it's helping us to think about who is speaking. God is. We should listen. And we'll also see that thinking about the fact that it is God who is speaking puts him in contrast with false gods who cannot speak. Verse 1 also emphasizes relationship. What's the name that's used for God here? It's Lord, with all capital letters, which we know is also his covenant name, his name of Yahweh, the name he gave for himself in relationship with his people. And it says, hear what the Lord says to you, O house of Israel. It doesn't just say, hear what the Lord says. That's what verse 2 says. But verse 1 is emphasizing that relationship. The covenant name for God, the people he's in relationship with, the house of Israel. So that's our first repetition. Next, we come to a repetition of what is worthless. We see this in verse 3. Verse 3 says, for the practices of the peoples are worthless. And then in verse 8, this word worthless Repeats. They are all senseless and foolish. They are tossed by worthless wooden idols. And one more time, a third time, in verse 15, they are worthless. The objects of mockery. When their judgment comes, they will perish. So when something's repeated twice, that's a blinking light. Time to pay attention. But when something's repeated a third time, like this word wordless, we better really pay attention. So in verse 3, the customs or practices 
of the peoples are worthless, specifically referring to them being terrified by signs in the sky and their customs of creating and worshiping idols. And then in verses 8 and 15, the idols are referred to as worthless. Now, this word worthless is the same Hebrew word that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes. You might remember in Ecclesiastes, you maybe have heard it said, vanity of vanities, all or everything is vanity, or meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's the same word in Hebrew. And this word can also be translated as smoke or vapor. It's something that's here for a moment and then gone. So God is saying, I am eternal and these idols are going to perish. They're like smoke that will blow away. One of the things that we talk about a lot at my job, maybe at yours, is value. One of the questions we ask a lot is, does this provide value add? If it does, great. How can we make it have even more value add? If it doesn't, what do we need to change so that it will? Or do we need to stop doing it since it doesn't provide value add? When we think about God, he has infinite value, infinite worth, and idols have no value, no worth. And this is the difference between true worship and false worship. True worship worships God, who has infinite value, and false worship worships idols, and they have no value. Third repetition that we come to is something about God's character, and that is that he's unique. And we see this in verses 6 and 7. Verse 6, no one is like you, Lord. And the end of verse 7, there is no one like you. God is not like anyone or anything else. So let's look at some of the ways that our whole passage, verses 1 through 16, show that God is not like idols. Well, verse 5 gets us thinking about who can care. Verse 5 says that idols must be carried because they cannot walk. And I'm going to read a, or read a couple of verses for us that's from another passage outside of our main sermon passage. And this is Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. Listen, as this verse talks about who does the carrying. It says, listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnants of the people of Israel, you whom I, God, have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you, and I will carry you. I will sustain you, and I will rescue you. So instead of us carrying idols, 
something that's worthless. God carries us. Another thing is that man makes idols, but God makes man and everything else. Verse 12. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. God does the carrying. God makes everything. Here's another one. Idols cannot speak. Verse 5. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, their idols cannot speak. But God speaks. He's spoken in the Bible. And as we heard in our sermon last Sunday from Psalm 19, he's spoken through his creation. He's spoken through his son, the living word. Idols cannot provide good teaching, good counsel. Verse 8, they are all senseless and foolish. They are taught by worthless wooden idols. They can't. That's, that's sort of like an oxymoron. How can a wooden idol teach? It, it doesn't work. But God can teach. God does teach. And then idols can't provide relationship. Verse 9, hammered silver and gold, dressed in blue and purple. All of that is headed toward relationship, but that's not real relationship. God provides relationship. So we've looked at three repetitions in this passage. Let's now come to our final one, which is in verses 10 and 12, which also shows ways that God is different from other gods. Verse 10 starts off with these three words. But the Lord, and verse 12, these two words, but God. So this repetition reinforces the many comparisons that are being made in this passage between God and Dido. And this phrase, these two words of verse 12, but God, is one of the most beautiful phrases in the Bible. And it shows up, and there seems to be no hope. It shows us God's grace. And I did a search online and found a website that lists out 20 places in the Bible that include but God in them. And I'd like to share three of them. Here's one that's about Noah, Genesis chapter 8. Noah was on the ark with his family, with the animals. And chapter 8, Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. And here's one about Joseph from the end of Genesis. Chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph is talking to his brothers. They didn't know that they had been dealing with their brother when he was second under Pharaoh in Egypt. And after he had revealed to them who he was, he said to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me. And then these two words. But God meant it 
for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And here's one more from, for us from Romans. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in our passage here in Jeremiah 10, after talking about idols being made of gold and silver, dressed in blue and purple, verse 10 says, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. He is angry, the earth trembles, the nations cannot endure his wrath. This is the verse that was in the list that I got from Charlie for supporting our catechism question. I wanted to preach the whole passage down 1 through 16, but this one verse was the verse that corresponds most directly for our catechism question. The Lord is the true God in comparison with the idols. He is the true God. The idols are not true. They are not living and they are not eternal. And right after saying that these gods did not make the heavens and the earth, in verse 11, then in verse 12, it shows us that God did make the heavens and the earth. And I want to take a moment with verse 11 as well. Here in our worship guide, we don't have access to footnotes or things that might be in our Bibles that we would read at home maybe. Uh, but verse 11 is a very interesting verse for us. I want to have us imagine for a moment. It's going to take some imagination. But let's imagine that English, the language we speak, the language we're speaking now, let's imagine that that's our, our kind of our small community's language, that we are a small community who speaks English. And let's imagine that when we go out from the doors of this building and we're doing our daily lives in Portland, that the dominant language of Portland and of our country, of our even of most of our world, was Chinese. Okay, for sake of example, uh, Chinese everywhere else. So we, we're doing English in here, but out there it's Chinese everywhere that we're speaking. Okay, now with that in mind, we think about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is mostly written in Hebrew, but there are some small parts of the Old Testament that are written in another language, Aramaic. The book of Ezra has a fairly long passage that's in Aramaic. And the book of Daniel has a fairly long passage that's in Aramaic. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 11, it's the only place in the whole Bible where the verses all around it are in Hebrew, the verses after it are all in Hebrew, and verse 11 all by itself is in Aramaic. Ponder that. Aramaic. It was the international language of diplomacy at the time when this was written. So, if everything in this passage then was all in the language that would have been spoken by a relatively smaller group of people, 
And then suddenly, right there in verse 11, now we're in the language that everybody around speaks. Notice what verse 11 says, keeping that in mind. Tell them this international language. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. God, let that verse be, had that verse be in a language that would have been understood around the world at that time. Verse 12, but God made the earth by his power. So where do we as a society need but God to give us hope? Or do we as individuals need but God to give us hope? I recently read an article from a website called First Things, where the writer was comparing some Roman gods from way back in maybe the 3rd century AD. And he was comparing these Roman gods with gods that we have in our world nowadays. And he put them in these five categories that all start with the letter P. Here we go. Private gods. These are the gods that we create for ourselves. You might have your private gods, and I might have mine. Prosperity gods. Gods that we believe will make us wealthy or keep us wealthy. Gods that have us thinking that once we get to a certain income level, then now we have a right. Power gods, gods that put us in positions of power, gods that help us feel like we are in control. Pleasure gods, this can be anything that gives us pleasure that we elevate higher than we ought to. And passing away gods, these are gods that elevate death higher than life. And in the midst of all of these categories, all of these types of gods, we need what we have in verses 10 and 12. But God, Yahweh, the Lord. And in verse 16, it's like a bookend for verse 1. It's pointing again to the intimate relationship that God has with his people. It refers to him as the portion of Jacob. Not only is he the maker of all things, but he is in relationship with Israel. And as it says, the people of his inheritance. He didn't just create the world and remain distant. He was in covenant relationship with Israel and he sent his son to be Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus saved us from worshiping what is worthless, idols, so that we can worship him who is above every name. As we come to the end of this sermon today, let's examine our own lives. What have we been fearing more than God? What have we been loving more than God? Returning to those words of the year, instead of going into goblin mode and being afraid, what others will think of us. We can know that we are loved and accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for us. 
instead of gaslighting and not being willing to admit our wrong, we can humble ourselves and admit when we are wrong. We can confess our sins and know that he, God, is just faithful to forgive our sins. And instead of being terrified, like it said at the beginning of this passage, verse 1, don't be terrified by the signs in the heavens, though the nations are terrified by them. We don't need to be terrified or angry about being in permacrisis. We can know that God is sovereignly in control. He loves us. He wants us to trust in him, no matter what is happening. So let's confess the times when we have the wrong object for our worship and commit today that we will worship the true, the living, and the eternal God. Let's pray.